barrier is serendipitous discovery. Fortunately, besides unexpected obstacles, there are also unexpected gifts. It seems there often is a kind of reward from nature if one dares enter new areas. On the other hand, sometimes nature is not so kind, and you must overcome the difficulty yourself. We have worked hard on such problems, but not too hard. If at one stage we had no idea how to address an issue, perhaps a year later we found an answer. Good intuition is required in such cases in which you expect the problem can be solved, although you do not yet know how. A crazy idea. In a way, Millipede got its start on a soccer field. The two of us played on the soccer team of the IBM Zurich Research Laboratory where we work. We were introduced by another teammate, Heinrich Rohrer. Rohrer had started at the Zurich Lab in 1963, the same year as one of us, Vetiger. He had collaborated with the other one, Binnig, on the invention in 1981 of the Scanning Tunneling Microscope, STM, a technology that led to the long-sought ability to see and manipulate individual atoms. In 1996, we were both looking for a new project in a considerably changed environment. The early 1990s had been a tough time for IBM, and the company had sold off its laser science effort, the technology part of which was managed by Vetiger. Binnig had closed his satellite lab in Munich, and moved back to Zurich. Together with Rohrer, we started brainstorming ways to apply STM or other scanning probe techniques, specifically atomic force microscopy, AFM, to the world beyond science. AFM, invented by Binnig, had developed jointly with Christopher Gerber of the Zurich Lab and Calvin F. Quate of Stanford University, is the most widely used local probe technique. Like STM, AFM took a radically new approach to microscopy. Rather than magnifying objects by using lenses to guide beams of light or by bouncing electrons off the object, an AFM slowly drags or taps a minuscule cantilever over an object surface. Perched on the end of the cantilever is a sharp tip tapered to a width of less than 20 nanometers, a few hundred atoms. As the cantilever tip passes over the dips and rises in the surface, either in contact with or in extreme proximity to it, a computer translates the deflection of the lever into an image, revealing, in the best cases, each passing atom. While Binnig was making the first images of individual silicon atoms in the mid-1980s, he inadvertently kept bumping the tip into the surface, leaving little dents in the silicon. The possibility of using an STM or AFM as an atomic-scale data storage device was obvious. Make a dent for a 1, no dent for a 0. But the difficulties were clear, too. The tip has to follow the contours of the medium mechanically, so it must scan very slowly compared with the high-speed rotation of a hard disk platter or the nanosecond switching time of transistors. Other pros and cons soon became apparent. Because of the extremely small mass of the cantilevers, AFM operation with the tip in direct contact with the medium is much faster than that of the STM or a non-contact AFM, though still not as fast as magnetic storage. On the other hand, tips of a contact AFM wear quickly when used to scan metal surfaces. And, perhaps most important, once the tip has made a dent, there was no obvious way to erase it. A group led by Dan Ruger at the IBM Almaden Research Center in San Jose, California, had tried shooting laser pulses at the tip to heat it. That would, in turn, soften the plastic so the tip could dent it. 
The group was able to create compact disc-like recordings that stored data more densely than even today's digital video discs, DVDs, do. It also performed extensive wear tests with very promising results. But the system was too slow, and it still lacked a technique to erase and rewrite data. Our team sketched out a design that we thought could supply these missing ingredients. Rather than using just one cantilever, why not exploit chipmakers' ability to construct thousands or even millions of identical microscopic parts on a thumbnail-sized slice of silicon? Working together in parallel, like the legs of a millipede, an army of slow AFM tips could read or write data quite rapidly. Here, more imagination was required to envision a chance for success than to come up with the idea itself. Although operating a single AFM is sometimes difficult, we were confident that a massively parallel device incorporating many tips would have a realistic chance of functioning reliably. As a start, we needed at least one way to erase, be it elegant or not. Alternatives, we thought, might pop up later. We developed a scheme of erasing large fields of bits. We heated them above the temperature at which the polymer starts to flow, in much the same way as the surface of wax gets smooth when worn by a heat gun. Although the technique worked nicely, it was somewhat complicated because before erasing a field, all the data that were to be retained had to be transferred into another field. Later on, as we'll explain, nature presented a much better method. With these rough concepts in mind, we started our journey into an interdisciplinary project. With a pair of us working in one team, we bridged two IBM departments, physics and devices. They were eventually merged into a single science and technology department. We were also joined by Evangelos Eleftherio and his team from our laboratory's communication systems department. Today, several groups from within IBM Research and from universities collaborate with us. When different cultures meet, misunderstandings cannot be prevented, at least not in the beginning. We, however, experienced a huge benefit from mixing different viewpoints. 99% perspiration. We were not MEMS experts, and researchers in the MEMS and scanning probe technology communities had so far dismissed our project as harebrained. Although others, such as Quaid's group at Stanford, were working at the same time on STM or AFM-based data storage, ours was the only project committed to large-scale integration of many probes. We hoped to achieve a certain vindication by presenting a working prototype in January 1998 at the IEEE 11th International Workshop on Microelectromechanical Systems in Heidelberg, Germany. Instead, we had a nearly working prototype to show. We presented a 5 by 5 array of tips in an area of 25 square millimeters. It was able to demonstrate parallel imaging, but parallel writing failed. We had overlooked a niggling but critical technical detail. The wires leading to the heaters were metallic and too thin to handle the current passing through them. They immediately blew like overloaded fuses because of the phenomenon of electromigration in metal films. Electromigration was well described in the literature. We should have known about it. This was not our only mistake, but in our group, mistakes can be admitted and quickly corrected. Despite the setbacks, our lab's managers sensed real progress. They allowed us to double the size of our team to eight. We had learned from the 25-tip array that the aluminum wiring had to be replaced, which we did with highly doped silicon cantilevers. We also found that it was possible to level out the tip array below the storage medium with high precision in a relatively large area 
which made us confident enough to move to a bigger array right away. Vettiger recognized one serious problem in May 1998 as he was giving an invited talk at the IBM Almaden Lab. He was describing how the cantilevers would be arranged in regular rows and columns, all of them connected to a grid of electrical wires. But as he was explaining how this system would work, he suddenly realized that it wouldn't. Nothing would stop the electric current from going everywhere at once. There would thus be no way to reliably send a signal to an individual cantilever. The uncontrolled flow of current is actually a well-known phenomenon when units in an array have to be addressed through columns and rows. A common solution is to attach a transistor switch to each unit. But putting transistors on the same chip at the tips was not an option. The tips must be sharpened under intense heat that would destroy tiny transistors. Back at the lab, we tried all kinds of tricks to improve control of the current flow, none of which pleased Vetiger. The bigger the array, the more serious this flaw became. A quick calculation and simulation by Urs Durig of our team showed that for an array of 1,000 units, addressing single cantilevers for writing would still be possible. Reading the small signals of individual levers, however, would fail. Vetiger slept poorly that night, fretting. The team was just about to complete the chip design for a 1,024-tip array. Vetiger told them to wait. For days, the team agonized over the problem, until at last Vetiger and Michael Despont saw a practical answer. Place a Schottky diode, an electrical one-way street, next to each cantilever. This highly nonlinear device would block the undesired current from flowing into all the other cantilevers. We reworked the design and soon had a 32 by 32 tip array, our second prototype. This prototype proved that many of our ideas would work. All 1,024 cantilevers in the array came out intact and bent up by just using the right amount so that they applied the correct amount of force when made it to a soft polymer medium called PMMA, which is mounted on a separate chip called a scanning table. Copper electromagnetic coils placed behind the scanning table were able to keep the PMMA surface from tilting too much as it panned left, right, back, and forward atop the cantilever tips. A new media scanner designed by Mark Lance and Hugo Rothausen has since reduced vibration sensitivity, which was then a problem. Each 50-micron-long cantilever had a little resistor at its end. An electrical pulse sent through the tip heated it to around 400 degrees Celsius for a few microseconds. The initial results with our second prototype were encouraging. More than 80% of the 1,024 levers worked properly on first pass, and there was only one narrow dark zone crossing the center of the storage field, resulting from a twisting of the chip when it was mounted. Not in our wildest dreams did we expect such success at this early stage of the project. From R to D. In the 5x5 device, each lever had at its base a piezo-resistive sensor that converted mechanical strain to a change in resistance, allowing the system to detect when the tip had dropped into a pit, a digital one. We began exploring approaches to detect pits more definitively. We ran tests with Schottky diodes integrated into the cantilevers, hoping that the strain would modify their resistance. Somehow the diodes did not have the expected properties. We nonetheless observed a strong signal when a bit was sensed. After some head-scratching, we found the surprising reason. It turned out to be a thermal phenomenon. If the cantilever is preheated to about 300 degrees Celsius, not quite hot enough to make a dent, 
Its electrical resistance drops significantly whenever the tip falls into a pit. We never would have thought to use a thermal effect to measure emotion, deflection, or position. On macro scales, doing so would be too slow and unreliable because of convection. The circulatory motion that occurs in a fluid medium, in this case air, as heat is transferred between two objects of different temperatures. On the micro scale, however, turbulence does not exist, and hotter and cooler objects reach equilibrium within microseconds. Although this result was unexpected, it was very useful. Now, we could use the same heater for each lever for reading bits as well as writing them. Instead of three or four wires per cantilever, only two would be needed. We presented this second prototype at the 1999 IEE-MEMS conference. This time, the other researchers in attendance were more impressed. But what really excited upper managers at IBM were the pictures of regular rows of pits that Millipede had written into the polymer. The pits were spaced just 40 nanometers apart, about 30 times the density of the best hard drives then on the market. Shortly thereafter, in early 2000, the Millipede project changed character. We began focusing more on producing a storage system prototype. The team grew to about a dozen workers. We again brought together two departments with Eleftherio and his team joining us. They contributed their unique expertise in recording channel technology, which they had been applying to magnetic recording very successfully. They began developing the electronic part of a fully functioning system prototype from basic signal processing and error correction coding to complete system architecture and control. We had just discovered a way to erase a small area, and in cooperation with Eleftherio, we could even turn it into a system in which no erasing is required before overriding. In the new local erasure method, when the tip temperature is high enough to soften the material, surface tension and the springiness of the polymer can cause a pit to pop up again. Instead of annealing a larger field using a heater integrated into the storage substrate, as in the block erasure method described earlier, the tip heats the medium locally. Because of electrostatic forces, a certain loading force on the tip cannot be avoided. So when the tip is heated to a high enough temperature and a new indentation is produced, older bits in close proximity are erased at the same time. If a row of pits is written densely, each newly created bit will eliminate the previous one and only the last bit in the row will remain. This mechanism can even be used to overwrite old data with new code without knowing what the old one was. In a marriage of our experience in physics with Eleftherio's recording channel expertise, we developed a special form of constrained coding for such direct overwriting. At this point, it was clear that the team needed to work on the speed and power efficiency of Millipede. We had to start.